Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. This month, we're celebrating the National American Indian Heritage Month, and we're interviewing Josephine Foe and Raymond Deal this morning. Good morning, Josie. Morning, Vernon. And Ray, how are you doing this morning? That's uh, greetings from my language, and I'm doing good. So how do you say in your language again, greetings? Ya'ate. Ya'ate. Right. Fantastic. Okay. So, Josephine, let's start off with you. And can you tell us, like, where did you grow up? What tribe are you in? What kind of education you have? Can you tell us that? Well, I've been uh, working uh, on the Navajo Nation for 23 years. I'm an immigrant. My home country is Malaysia. I'm a lawyer. I went to Penn Law. I was undocumented for a number of years uh, in New York City. My clan is overseas Chinese uh, from the same village uh, as uh, the folks who built the railroad. We got on ships and went all over the world, and my ancestors landed up in uh, Malaysia. Your ancestors landed in Malaysia? Yeah, they. that was a famine situation, and everybody... Uh, the able-bodied men left the village on boats, ships uh, that took them anywhere in the world. Uh, you had no control. So some landed over in America to build the railroads. Some went to the Caribbean. And uh, my forebears went to Malaya at the time. So we're all related. And so you ended up in school here and you were undocumented? I went to school, and then after I graduated, I, I fell out of status for a few years before law school. Okay. I, <laughs> okay. Well, you asked. <laughs> no, I imagine that would be tough, living in New York as undocumented. I just assume that it's tough. Got it. How did you end up working with the Navajo? When I was undocumented, it, it was in the late 80s. Um, so... Um, I'm in my 60s now. And when I had gone to law school, it was when a city university was firing teachers and they were choosing certain teachers to fire because they had uh, a financial situation at the time in the 80s. And I, I, I felt like I needed to uh, get more degrees. At the time, I, I, I was documented at that time and I was teaching at city university. So I went to law school and within the first month, I wanted to quit law school. Mm-hmm. So. But I had uh, I stuck it out, and I had a friend who is Asian American from Kentucky, and she had interned at the uh, Pine Ridge Reservation and the the Sioux Reservation, and she told me uh, to to uh, 
to try it. Uh, it's it's a it's a very challenging and amazing uh, field to be in and communities to serve, and and uh, that's how I started out here in Navajo Nation. Wow. Okay. Okay. And Ray, what about you? You grew up, and what's your background? First, I'd like to say um, greetings to all. I grew up on the reservation back in the uh, 60s. I was born in 1949, according to my mom, but my birth record holds it as 1950. So uh, I'm a, a year younger by record, but my mom says I was born in 1949. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I was raised going to boarding school since I was five years old. It was a horrible, traumatic experience that I uh, gone through. I was picked up uh, on a horseback, uh, thrown in the back of a rider like a sack of flour. And then I was taken to a dirt road where a jeep was going up to the school. Back then, I didn't know what the school was. And they were just yelling, and my mom was crying and everything. So uh, after the rider took me to the jeep, I was thrown in the back of the jeep, and then they, they took me to the boarding school. So... Growing up that way, I believe that a lot of what we're going to talk about later on is that we were told to listen, to not speak. And if we spoke, we're supposed to talk in English. And at the time, we only knew our own language. We didn't know one word of uh, English. So it was a real traumatic experience for a lot of young kids. But I, I went through through boarding school, and then, then I left for off-reservation school down in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, where I graduated from high school earlier than all my uh, classmates. And then I uh, enlisted in the uh, military, and I, I spent uh, some time in uh, Vietnam and went back to school to uh, see what I can do about work on the reservation. Mm -hmm. And I had a, a couple of... Uh, uh, bachelor's degree that helped me to uh, work with kids uh, on the reservation at, in my own community, Tohala. I mean, it's Totalina, or uh, it's a, a place where we call it, where the water comes out. It's real beautiful artesian wells in that canyon. That's where I'm actually from. And uh, one of the things about our our existence as a Navajo person is that. We have a very, very defined clanship, kinship system we call eh. And what it tells is that we, we belong to one clan and then we're born for another clan. And we also have a paternal grandfather clan and maternal grandfather clan, which gives us a uh, sense of, uh, uh, belonging to a lot of different plan, clans. So when we go re across the reservation, we are usually related to somebody over there too. And we come from a big reservation. So you went to Vietnam. I went to college to keep from going to Vietnam and I was able to escape that with the lottery. So thank you for your service, sir. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. So I uh, 
I uh, did not go to NAM. I went to college. Then I was teaching in inner city in New York, and I got a deferment and then the lottery. So let's go back. Josephine, the attorney, um, did you want to ask Ray questions, or is Ray going to ask you questions? Which way are we going to do this, or both okay. ways? Well, Vernon, just to keep you participating, um, maybe you should start us off with a question, and then Ray and I can go back and forth and answer it, if you'd like. Okay, so I um, I get the clans that Ray was talking about. I get that um, on the reservation, as he walked around the re reservation, he is he belongs to d different clans. I guess what I want to talk about or ask you about is in the co-op world, can you tell me the difference between on the res between a collective and a co-op? Uh, yes. Um, Ray, what comes to mind for you when you hear the word co-op? Uh, co-op, when we look at that word, I said earlier that the, uh, when we went to uh, boarding school, it was like a military boarding school where we were told to uh, be quiet and not speak up. If we did speak up, we had to talk English and we didn't know one word of English. So we understood that uh, to, to be quiet, where in the modern time, today's time, when you look at cooperative, you were put on the spot to somewhere put in something into that uh, co-op. So a lot of our, our people were trained to stay quiet. And so when you, you understand co-op, uh, you, you do certain, certain things in that, in that situ, situation. And so a lot of our people are used to backing down from any uh, participation. And, and it's real unique unique today because we have to retrain our people to be be okay to have a, uh, input to participate. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at co-op, it kind of, uh, people will kind of back down, I guess, in, 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 if you ask them to be, be part of the co-op. So the, the co-op structure is something that people try to fit pe other people into rather than anything that grew organically out of people. Exactly. So when you hear the word collective, what, what do you think? Of? Collective automatically, in, in, in my understanding, gives you a sense of having a role in whatever is being uh, talked about, being done. Collective kind of gives you a little bit, a little sense of, uh, uh, hey, I got a right to be here too. I have a right to speak up too. So collective is a real unique word that I find that uh, it's so much easier to understand being a part of. So being a collective, you you can just be, but in a co-op you're expected to perform exactly. something. Exactly, exactly. And a lot of time I guess uh, people resist it because they thought they might not uh, have have the power or the knowledge of whatever they're going to get involved in. It's always the expectation of some law or rule. Exactly. 
So in the collective, whose expectations are you? Yourself. Okay. Yourself, and uh, it gives you a sense of uh, 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 participation in whatever's going to happen. Now, when you say yourself in a collective. All right. I need to break here because we're going to go on our first break. And I'm, I did not want to stop it, okay, because I'm really wanting to get this distinction between collective and co-op and how the Navajo Nation feels about it, the co-op part of it. And, Ray, I just really got this being in a boarding school, and they say, don't talk, just listen. And then when you do talk, speak in English, and you don't know English, that must be tough. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. This is Dial News Talk 1450 AM and 95.9 FM. 959. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Co-op, and we're celebrating National American Indian Heritage Month. And we're talking to Josephine Foe, an attorney, and Raymond Deal, who grew up on the reservation and they sent him to a boarding school at five years old. And he was told to be quiet, uh, all of the students, be quiet, listen. And if he spoke, speak in English, and he knew no English. Uh, he said it was traumatic. I think that's horrible, traumatic experience. And that then has its legacy in today's society when we were beginning to talk about how one feels on the reservation about a co-op versus a collective. And right before I, I interrupt you, Josephine, you were getting ready to ask Raymond another question about collective. Do you want to start back with that? Yeah, except I don't remember what I was asking. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, as an attorney, um, uh, I, I was an attorney in the Navajo Supreme Court for eight years, and uh uh, a lot of the terminologies have always been problematic for for us. Like, for example, cooperative versus collective, like Ray was talking about. The sense that you speak for yourself uh, in a collective, whereas in a cooperative, you you're kind of like a you have to fit a, a cog of the colonizer almost. Right. There's also the sense of. Uh, co-ops being owned by by workers this sense of ownership is something uh culturally uh, distinct we, we would call it stewish stewardship uh, of anything you, you don't really uh, this is historical so you don't own your real your assets you 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 steward them you steward them for future generations you also have a relation with each other uh, so a collective is based on relations, and you have a a, a a big member of the collective is Mother Earth as a living being. It's part of the get. Right. And uh, government versus management is a problem as well. You you have a, a familial system of management locally that takes care of everything. That that is the collective. And then it's being handed over to some concept of government. And uh, if we have time, I'd like to talk about that, how that impacts on on co-ops, membership, 
co-ops usually depend on economic participation. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, over here, the idea of the collective, there are people who are enormously important to be members of the collective who are, are too frail or have infirmities that are, are not going to be participating economically or may not even have knowledge to share because of certain infirmities, but they are full-fledged members of of the collective. And then you have the business-focused co-op versus a whole community, a holistic collective. Um, so, So I want to go all the way back to Mother Earth as a human being. How does how does that work? And Ray, I would like for you to answer that. Is what does it mean that you know you talked about relations, and one of that relationship is with Mother Earth, the planet, the land, trees, the water, and you treat Uh-oh. it as a human being because her body makes up our body. We come from the dirt, the the land. So when we our, our life has ended. We go back to that body, become again. Understand it that way. And it's because we're part of her. We call her my, our mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, you, you have to have a relationship with your, with your mother. You, you, uh, it has to be an ongoing relationship. So if you allow, a piece of Mother Earth to be destroyed, uh, abused, um, or, or just not worked on to, you know, care for it so that the nutrients and everything are shared. Uh, it, you, and you have just a, a piece of neglected land. You're, you're not having a relationship. Yeah. Um, relationship, uh, we understand it is that. We are there to take care of her also. And that uh, it gives us uh, what we need. Just take, for instance, planting. Every spring, we go out there on our farm and we talk to the earth. We say, we're going to put seed down in your body and you're going to help us. And with the seed in your body, we want to grow a certain product. And that in a way that you can help us to uh, let our life go on by giving us these uh, vegetables, corn, and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's it's a good relation that we have with the land, and uh, it, it it helps us, and we help her. And then there's the weaving that happens, and all these secondary industry things that happen. Yes, that all flows right. To- right. Right. We go one in one in one with the uh, Mother Earth back and forth. We say that to everything. The, the, the concept, it, it's, it's with everything. We understand everything is sacred. And it was put here for our um, communication with everything. The land, the plants, the animals, uh, and ourselves. Each other. Okay. Yes. The, the beauty I found, I mean, I'm 23 years here, but I'm not from here, is I, I, I feel like I'm, I've come home as opposed to working in mainstream culture 
when I came from Malaysia, I was trying to find out why folks were telling the kids that Western culture was so good. And so that started out a different, something is better than something else. So when I came and I, I did my best to learn why was something better than something else. And then when I fell out of status and became an undocumented alien, um, undocumented person, I, I, I got my real education. Uh, it, I, I, I was able to critique it. Um, it, it sort of was very liberating. And then when I came out to the Navajo Nation, um, there is a sense of everything valued for things that you may not even have put into words or made understandable to something else, but you have to respect it because it's of value intrinsically to itself and you, you don't place a value or valuelessness on it and that is so important to understand right yes yes that is so my mind is just exploding over here with treating mother nature as a human being and going out and talking to the earth and saying you're going to put seeds in into mother earth and you're asking mother earth to bring back vegetables, uh, corn, or other products so they would nourish our bodies. And we take care of Mother Earth so that Mother Earth can do that, but also just because it's Mother Earth. And we need to take care of Mother Earth. That explains a picture I saw of a native chief looking over, maybe with a commercial looking over America with all of the plants and and it was just weeping with the way we have treated the earth. We being Western, we being capitalism. Yeah, that's the difficulty with the business model of co-op and the, the, the idea of a more holistic collective uh, that has to do certain functions that are, are not being done at this time. Uh, I'd like to actually touch on that after the break, Vernon. Yes, uh, abusing her so much in, 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 in the works today, uh, talking about signs. Uh, I saw one on the side of the road says that uh, the side of the road is not your dumpster. <laughs> so we got to keep her clean. Yes. I keep it all clean. Listen, I thank you guys for sharing the Navajo Nation, uh, w what it means, and coming out of Malaysia and out of boarding school, how you have found life and joy in the Navajo Nation today. And when we get back, Josie, I do want to hear about some of the legal issues with co-ops versus collectives or what, why it's difficult to form co-ops in this environment and culture of the Navajo Nation and treating Mother Earth in a relationship where she's mother. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. Power. Welcome back. 
The show is Everything Co-op, and Josie and Ray, we've been on the air now 10 years. October made 10 years we've been on the air talking about co-ops, and i got to tell you, this conversation has taken it to a whole different level when we look at the difference between collectives and co-ops uh, in an environment where you treat Mother Nature as mother, uh, to treat the planet as Mother Nature. We've been sponsored financially by National Cooperative Bank. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. I know they have been in Alaska with a native indigenous in Alaska providing financial services. Josie, do you know if, if NCB, if you all have used their services in forming co-ops or other businesses? Uh, I, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, Alaska is a very unique area. Uh, they lack reservation land. Uh, Navajo Nation is the size of West Virginia. Ah. So uh, it's a very unique reservation situation. So the idea of co-op associations it is is uh, very welcome in Alaska, where you build your membership around businesses or occupations, or pretty much any relation uh, that you wish, and then you can get, I guess, loans from NCB or loans from federal government, or even outright grants to purchase land, uh, and then lease it out to your members, and then you you govern or you manage according to co-op principles. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Alaska more than any place else. I, I do know that. And that's basically empowered under federal statutes as well to, for Alaska, specific to Alaska. For, for reservations uh, that are land-based, you, 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 you do have a promise traced to the Supreme Court decisions of the early 19th century that you have inherent tribal sovereignty. So whatever isn't uh, taken or uh, given, surrendered to the federal government, you retain uh, as inherent tribal sovereigns. So, so that is a that is a matter of enormous pride to to tribes that are land based. So, rather than be a business based uh, government governmental co op over your membership, you become a land based sovereign, uh, theoretically able to do. Um, quite a few government-related things. Theoretically, you should be able to build your own skyscrapers and whatnot, but obviously that is not happening for, for a lot of reasons. Um, it, it's, it's more of a... Reservations are called governments, but uh, the powers given to reservations are so truncated. Uh, you have uh, limitations of uh, ability to manage land because the federal government has a lot of land-based regulations. So let me, can I stop you a second? Sure. Because um, you used the word truncated. Um, sovereignty is that you have the ability to govern yourself. So I hear the federal government saying to natives, Navajo Nation, you are a sovereign entity, entity and you can govern yourself. And we will hold land in trust, and so we will tell you what to do with the land. That by itself means that you're not sovereign if you don't have control over your land. And he put other 
laws in place and you said truncated so that you're not sovereign you say you're sovereign and you're a sovereign nation but in fact you really are not is that correct joe is that what you found out in the 23 years you've been there well ray's nodding away but this is my section ray (laughs) (laughs) it's good to hear it from somebody else okay so um i've lost my train of thought what, what, just a minute, what do you mean by that? I mean, what well, would you would be, say? Go go ahead. Yeah, that's a couple of programs, and it's difficult to go there, but uh, I, I think just to summarize that, uh, the Supreme Court in, in the early 19th century uh, had said that tribes had entered into treaties to give up all this land in return for certain services to be provided through the treaties and anything else outside of those provisions are retained under inherent tribal sovereignty. That, that's how it's understood. Uh, so the treaties provide subsistence, you know, in the early days, the forts would give out blankets and some food and liquor. <laughs> and uh, the forts through the Department of War um, was the uh, uh, government. So you can see now it wasn't really a government. It was a, a, a certain entity fulfilling certain treaty items. So everything around that became the tribal sovereign uh, to do. Um, it, it's, a, it's a little bit of a, a difficulty, but I'd like to really address co-ops uh, right now because that is too huge to, to go into. Um, when you have any co-op in mainstream society, you have a co-op business and you planners come in and you tell the co-op, you need these certain things in order to be a business. Uh, specifically, we hope that you will have these co-op principles and this will really benefit you. And then they tell the government what the government can do. Uh, government can give tax incentive, incentives. Uh, they can provide grants, loans, they can provide subsidies. They can uh, provide skill training for folks to to enter into business, become part of the economy. Uh, you can even uh, create local hubs. These are the things government can do. So the, the assumption is that certain things are already in place, and that's never discussed when you're creating a co-op. But on the Navajo Nation, which is the size of West Virginia, because of the regulatory difficulties uh, that exist to today, um, there are many, 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 many homes, uh, a majority of homes without water, without electricity. Uh, you may have highways, but you don't have ability to get to the highways from your doorstep. Uh, you, you, uh, you have 38% poverty. Uh, you, you have a difficulty uh, of small businesses, uh, even having a business, uh, not let alone a co-op. Um, so you, 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 you may lack uh, law and order and fire response. Um, so if you are a community unlucky enough to be a little somewhat off the highway in some place, uh, fire can't get to you, EMT can't get to you, you have difficulty getting insurance. There are no locksmiths on the entire reservation, the size of West Virginia. So those things have to be in place before government can begin having programs to promote businesses. Uh, and then businesses can create their internal functions. 
Um, so, so those are the, the challenges. So on the Navajo Nation specifically, because of its size, if you have a, a much smaller reservation, then law and order possibly is easy to reach you. Uh, they may be state-based or they may be BIA police. But it's different when you have such a size. Um, the size itself makes it difficult. And when you want to break it down to localities, folks haven't yet decided on, on a fully functional local management collective system yet. Uh, they've tried something for 25 years, but that hasn't worked. And folks are talking about reforming it. Um, but they haven't figured out the extent of how local control can, can be uh, enabled. Uh, I guess uh, what comes to mind is that uh, the people out there, they don't really know how much uh, power they have over the land itself. But they just need to understand somewhere things have to start coming in into their uh, local area to try to get all these things that uh, Josie is uh, speaking of, that they have the uh, authority, a power that they, they can come together and uh, get these uh, services out, out to where they are at, and uh, especially in ways of uh, getting to that home. Uh, it's so unique to uh, talk about where we come from. It's pretty normal to, to be out there on the uh, land, plowing through mud and snow and whatever, just to get out to uh, get your groceries. So it's, it's, it's kind of unique to um, say that it, that's normal. It's not, to, to us, it's not hard work. Mm. Do you see, uh, Joe, the array that either forming co-ops and giving having a structure and showing people how they can govern themselves and have the power to solve some of these problems might be an answer. I, I, I think so. Um, I think the Alaska model, which they also tried in Oklahoma briefly, understood the collective nature of, the, of governing. So when they created federally chartered co-op associations, back in the 30s, uh, they understood the, the collective nature of, of the local management, but it hasn't uh, taken root for the bigger reservations since it's a single tribe for the entire area and the existing model is small, small tribes, small tribal units and small co-op areas. The Navajo Nation collective system, uh, what I know of it, it's very sophisticated. It's it's a it's a, a wonderfully uh, realized uh, system before the long walk, um, before the Navajo people, the Dene people were collected and marched off to Fort Sumner for five years, and then uh, incarcerated in an open air prison for five years. And during that time, folks were mixed in with all other tribes and uh, other individuals in a really chaotic fashion, so you broke down the social order. Also, that, that was an attempt to force uh, uh, people into farming units, which uh, completely failed, and uh, 
the 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 idea out of that uh, from the cavalry was that oh these folks can't farm but they do farm in a in a different system uh, using different relationships um so it, it's a lot of development that that may be needed okay i am kind of excited and 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 also sad i'm i'm really sad with your your history um ray of going to these schools Josie being from Malaysia and coming to the U.S. and being undocumented and getting the real education there. Um, and then to the Navajo Nation taking your legal training and, and helping them to under, both to, for you to understand their culture, particularly as it relates to this collective system. So we're going to take our final break here and I really want to come back and understand more about, you said it was a complicated collective system before the long walk, before the walk to Fort Sumner in 1800s? Um, 1860s. 1860s. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. is power. And welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. Uh, we're talking to two people from the Navajo Nation, Josie and Bray. And this section, I really want to talk more about the future, but particularly from the past, we talked about this complicated collective system that worked really well before the long walk in the 1860s and then the colonization and trying to get the Navajo Nation to change its culture to meet the European culture, if you will, of a family and, and taking from the planet, taking from Mother Earth. I shouldn't even say Mother Earth, taking from Earth because they don't treat it as a mother. So where do you see the future? How do, how do we, where, where I'm at and my frustration, Ray, is you talked about the people have all of this power that they don't know they have. And how can you get people to understand their power, use their power so that they can have roads that work and electricity in their homes and water in their homes? How do that, how do we get that to happen? So, Ray, you know that all the lawyers and planners that have been involved on, on this issue on the Navajo Nation that we've been working with, uh, first of all, try to help navigate all the regulations and uh, all the different limitations, but always uh, are trying uh, to ask the community to design its own different localities, different familial systems, and then try to give it to the lawyers and planners to see if a framework can be built around it. Um, that has been so difficult to even do because um, folks, Navajo people, Diné people are the most law-abiding people on the planet. Diné people know the regulations. Uh, in, in, in the in the heart of hearts, and they, they strive to comply with it. Or if it's impossible to comply with it, they 
they grapple with it and they feel like criminals for not complying with it. But uh, the, the trick is for those of us involved in uh, co-op planning, understand uh, what the familial system is. And by familial, it's not the mainstream notion of family. It's not a blood situation. And I think the USDA Rural Development Office recognizes that there are unique tribal structures. The, the, the problem is getting tribes uh, to feel free and empowered enough to articulate those structures and say, this is how we need to be, rather than say, okay, we'll, we'll adopt a corporate model mm -hmm. and then we'll pretend that's the model and then we'll just carry on. And folks are even embarrassed to discuss their systems because they're so different. Yes, uh, back in July, we had a little uh, forum in our Navajo Nation capital. We brought people uh, together from all over the reservation. And the idea that I saw from that was to bring young folks to, to uh, display a little drawing art ideas uh, about what they feel about the future and that within our program Navajo Family Voice and Indian Country Grassroots that's what we're trying to do to give people the sense they have that authority and power to express themselves just the way they are and I see that we're, we're trying to do that to promote that with our youngsters today because we have so many uh, young people that express themselves better than I did when I was their age. So it's, it's what we're looking at. And it gives us the idea that we are uh, collective uh, on, on, on our input to whatever it is that we're participating in. I would imagine that they are more they communicate better than you did since you were taught from five years old to sit in the corner and be quiet, okay? <laughs> Don't speak unless you speak in English. So they had trained you not to speak. Exactly. And I, I'm glad to hear that the young folks uh, perhaps don't have that and they're, they're better willing to speak. Uh, Josie, did you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I when folks uh, speak in English and use English terminologies, they 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 uh, they just slip into uh, mainstream notions of of things. But when folks are speaking uh, in Diné Bazaar, they they uh, and those are the elders. Uh, that's not a language that the kids fully grasp, um, but they do understand. Uh, other types of languages, including uh, the, the visual languages uh, and the symbolic languages, and um, that that is like a bridge between the generations. Um, and it's it uh, the lawyers and planners who attended that little forum of four hundred people. They were struck by what they learned out of that, rather than going to a, a, a planning meeting where folks were trying to express things to them in an English language, but there was no means of conveying it. Mm -hmm. And and one thing that has come out of this is the symbolism of uh, ladies' jewelries. Yes, um, uh, ladies' jewelry are are usually in uh, form in clusters, right? That they have uh, 
bracelets, rings, uh, where they use uh, precious stones. We could, we usually say hard goods. They were like uh, value back in the days, highly. Uh, and these stones are also uh, the remaining chips that are made from these jewelry are used as offerings uh, when we go back to uh, doing offerings to our Mother Earth and asking for certain things in, in the future. But these jewelry, are it represents where the, the, the ladies are in their community. They're right at the center, and all the clusters are all their children. Then maybe some on the outside could be grandkids and great great grandkids, and depending on how it's made, it's it's pretty pretty much un- unique in what status they are in the community. So the jewelry tells what the status of the ladies are in the community right. by the number of clusters or the number of the, the ones I'm looking at has turquoise. Uh, right. And how many rings are around the center? Okay. It physically represents what a what the familial system can be, um, and and they're not all blood people, you know. They that that's the thing uh, that that's the system that I think uh, before the segment started, we were talking about how difficult it is for Dene communities to share. The, the full scope of how the system works with folks who are non-Navajo because of a, a lot of knowledge before the long walk, uh, folks are scared that they're, they're taken away. So uh, it's it's a, considered even a, a sacred knowledge. Am I right, Ray? Yes. And a little bit about uh, the hard goods. I went back to Vietnam a couple of times uh, since the war. So I've been there three times to, to look at, um, um, our ways and the ways of the Vietnamese people were very similar, uh, with, with their culture. Uh, they go out in the morning, they do their prayers just like we do. And when I went back to the country, when I left there, it was full of bomb craters. It was full of uh, people really cussing at us because of what we did to them. But when I went back, it was a whole different situation. It's beautiful, and the people are very, very much uh, accepting of us. And so our cultures are pretty similar. And so in some ways, when I took some of those chips off the jewelry and buried them over there in that country, I made peace with uh, the land and the people. Okay. Okay. So what kind of message would you like to leave people with today? Um, Jyoti, you got about a minute. Um, um, uh, I, I'd like them to uh, uh, work together as a holistic uh, civilization uh, to look after um, Mother Earth as a living being and understand the holistic need uh, for collectives, um, how our future is becoming more and more uncertain as well. Um, help develop a local management of assets, of, of energy, of, 
uh, all kinds of things to to localize them because so many parts of the earth are a, a little bit in difficult situations as well um and uh, anything can happen when that uh, all everybody gets together and, and 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 thinks on the same thing thank you uh Jothi Foe and Raymond Earl, thank you very much for being with us today. Um, everybody out there, we'd ask that you would live cooperatively or collectively as a whole, working together to solve community problems. See you next Thursday. Live cooperatively. <laughs>